0: to Gaywire on CJSR, your homegrown source for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and queer news, culture, stories, and events from Edmonton and beyond. Hey there, you're listening to Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM. I'm Alexa. I'm alone here in the studio today. Uh, JD will hopefully be back in two weeks to uh, talk about all the pop culture things and the politics and all that. Um, So on the show today we have uh, another update on the um, murders that were happening uh, in Toronto's Gay Village. And uh, there was an excellent uh, report put out by the Toronto Star um, in which they draw a lot of parallels between what's happening in Toronto right now and uh, what actually happened in the um, 1970s. Uh, when there was also a series of um, murders of uh, gay men predominantly in uh, the village at the time. Um, There seems to be new information coming out uh, every day about what's happening. There was a a press uh, news conference today in which they announced that they had found um, more um, evidence that there might be even more victims. Uh, So we'll bring all of those updates. We're also gonna play, since it's, well, I guess we can technically still call it the beginning of the semester, uh, an interview that we did with The Landing, which is the U of A's LGBTQ um, organization and drop-in space and community resource center. So I thought it'd just be a good idea to refresh our memories on everything they do for the community. Um, And then, yeah, we just have a whole bunch of other scattered news from across the country and uh, the states and other places as well. So before we get to all of that, Um, Actually, what I want to do is, I was reminded of this um, performance piece, Uh, I think we've played it before, but it's um, so amazing that it's worth playing again, especially in times like these. Um, What it is, is it's um, uh, Mickey Blanco reciting um, the spoken word piece, I Want a Dyke for President. Um, and uh, the poem was written by Zoe Leonard Um, so this is somebody else performing that poem, um, but, uh, it seems really timely and I'm sure you'll agree. Um, in terms of a content warning, obviously they say the word dyke, they also say the word fag, um, and they also say, you know, some other adult words, none of which are swears, but if you don't like those words, I don't know, you might not want to listen for the next two minutes and one second, uh, but otherwise, um... Here we go. This is Mickey Blanco with I want a dyke for president. I want to
1: know
2: why. And I want to know why we I want someone I want I want I want I want I want I I want a dyke for president. I want a person with AIDS for president. And I want a fag for a vice president. And I want someone with no health insurance. And I want someone who grew up in a place where the earth is so saturated with toxic waste that they didn't have a choice about getting leukemia. I want a president that had an abortion at 16. And I want a candidate who isn't the lesser of two evils. And I want a president who lost their last lever to AIDS, who still sees that in their eyes every time they lay down to rest, who held their lever in their arms and knew they were dying. I want a president who stood in line at the clinic, at the DMV, at the welfare office, who's been unemployed and played off and sexually harassed and gay-bashed, and deported. I want someone who has spent the night in the tombs and had a cross burned on their lawn and survived rape. I want someone who has been in love and been hurt, who respects sex, who has made mistakes and learned from them I want a black woman for president. I want someone with bad teeth, someone who's eaten hospital food, someone who cross dresses and has done drugs and been in therapy. I want someone who's committed civil disobedience. And I wanna know why we started learning somewhere down the line that a president is always a clown. Always a, a John, never a hooker. Always a boss, never a worker. Always a thief and never caught. imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with the pain. James Baldwin.
1: My name is Christy Harcourt, and I am the educator at the Pride Center of Edmonton, where I Work with community groups that want to get better at dealing with sexual diversity issues or dealing with sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression. You're listening to Gaywire on CJSR and it's a good thing that you are. Hey
0: there, you're listening to Gaywire on CGSR 88.5 FM. Uh, we were listening to, we opened the, the show with um, Mickey Blanco reciting the poem, I Want to Dig for President, uh, which was written about 25 years ago by American artist and prominent AIDS activist Zoe Leonard. So, as uh, I said... Well, why don't we go to this first? Um, I don't know if, uh, have we talked about it years ago on the program, um, a photography project, an exhibit that was done in Vancouver um, by an artist named S.D. Holman, uh, who self-identifies as Butch. And the project was all about featuring, um, it, was a f- it was a photography and, for- and portrait project. It was all about featuring um, Butch-identified uh, female identifying people. Um, and so, uh, all of this has been made into a short documentary that's been, it looks like it's sponsored through TELUS, and it's available through TELUS, but it's also available on YouTube for free if you want to check it out. It's just 13 minutes. Um... And it's, it's well worth checking out, I mean, because it's visually, they sort of show many of the portraits that S.D. Holman um, uh, took and um, features in a book that they put together. Interestingly as well, um, when we first reported it on Gaywire, it's because they, uh, the creators of the project had not only taken the portraits of um, butch and masculine of center women, Uh, but decided to feature them in bus shelters around Vancouver Um, so the point behind that being that it would sort of be exposure it would be in public spaces it would be like casting a light on people in our society and even within the queer community who often um, don't get talked about much less celebrated Um, so again if you you know subscribe to tell us I don't know no judgments uh, you can uh, find the free documentary on their um, on-demand feature but if not you can go over to YouTube where it's being featured on a story hive uh, site that's also connected with the TELUS project so that's Bush and the um, creator of the project is SD Holman and again there um, it features Canadian I imagine most of them are from the Vancouver queer community Um, but it's just amazing portraits of people who often um, for many reasons are shy to be in the spotlight so there you go Turning to Toronto, we've been reporting for the past month about the homicides that have been occurring in Toronto's gay village. Uh, the numbers are seem to be growing. Um, there was a, a, a report today from the Toronto Police Service that they found new evidence that there's that there's potentially more victims. Uh, and uh, the thing that seems to be uniting them mostly is that they are gay um, and/or they frequented the gay village and/or They were men who have sex with men. Um, Many of them, I think, except two, are um, Middle Eastern um, and um, of South Asian. Uh, um uh nationality um, or nationalities rather and uh, also um, men who are in di- marginalized for different reasons including poverty and homelessness uh, so we've been reporting that there's been tension in the community because the Toronto gay community um, has known since at least 2010 that there were disappearances happening and that people for you know eight years weren't coming back and weren't being found, and so they were suspected to have been um, killed or at least um, dead. And uh, the gay community in Toronto um, has been vocal in the fact that they tried to talk to the police. They tried to warn the police. They tried to tell the police that they have, like, in, because of the community networks that exist, they've been able to put together sort of um, connections between the victims, and they wanted to share this information with the police. They held town halls over the summer. They engaged in community um, initiatives, like um, charting where the different disappearances had happened, collecting evidence. talking to people, searching the neighborhoods themselves. Um, also, they, they put through um, several strategies for like creating community safety when they felt that the police um, wasn't providing them safety or they didn't want to depend on the police in the first place for safety. Um, doing things like ride shares, making sure people got home on time. Because a lot of the um, uh, victims were connected to the, the accused through online dating, there's also strategies for um, telling your friends if you're gonna go meet somebody that you met online, which is probably a good strategy for life anyway. Um, telling them where you're gonna meet them, um, how long maybe you, how you plan to be with them, obviously those things can always change. Um, and checking in with friends, right? So a lot of um, community safety initiatives that have existed in feminist and people of color and indigenous and queer communities for centuries, um, checking in, sharing information with each other, telling each other about bad dates and um, stuff like that, but it certainly were used in the gay community over the summer because, and over the past few years, because people were we're, we're quickly realizing and getting quite frightened to the fact that like this was happening within their community. So the latest update on that is that uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory has said he will meet with LGBT leaders amid criticism of the police investigation into Bruce MacArthur, who is the accused in these murders. Um, The uh, Mayor Tory's pledge um, to meet with them came amid concerns about about the police handlings of the MacArthur investigation, including that police failed to take sufficient action on a string of disappearances of gay men of color. Um, last month, Police Chief Saunders announced a review of how police handle missing persons investigations, spurred by concerns that the police were not doing enough to protect members of Toronto's gay community. And concerns over the cases like Tessa Ritchie, Alora Wells, Andrew Kinsman, and Selim Essen, or Selim Essen led some in the area to take safety into their own hands as I said, with volunteers banding together to develop walk-safe programs. Um, During the same news conference, um, this was back a few weeks ago, uh, Saunders said there was no evidence that this was a serial killer, despite um, uh, long-standing rumors within the community that the disappearances of the neighbors were connected. Uh, So all of this um, has led to, and since then, the the Toronto Police Service has said that that this is probably a serial killer serial killer. Um, but all of this has led to, um, uh, leaders within Toronto's LGBT community, um, meeting with the mayor to discuss these things. Um, as happens in these cases, it's not released. I mean, I'm sure people within the village know who's going to be meeting. It's always a tricky thing to like pick leaders from a huge complex community, like Toronto's gay community. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's also worth noting that uh, Toronto, like many other municipalities across the country, have what are called police liaison committees with the LGBT community. So there'll be liaison committees with, like, the LGBT community, um, the black community, the Jewish community, and so on, and they're designed to be this, like, communication stream between police organizations and, quote, marginalized communities. Um, however, many critics have said that what it turns into is the the liaison committee becomes a mouthpiece for the police or becomes a way for the police to make themselves look good and so that's also been criticized in this uh, case as well because people are arguing uh, that the police the LGBT police liaison committee of Toronto um, wasn't listening to their concerns and so that basically you know um, uh, undercuts the the very purpose of the police liaison committee um, what is uh, also interesting about this and again I'm pointing to a, a piece that was done by the Toronto Star um, is that uh, in the 1970s there was also a string of um, uh, murders in uh, Toronto's gay community um, and it included a financial analyst, it included um, a disco manager, a part-time lecturer at the University of Toronto um, Between and this happened between 1975 and 1978. Um, 14 men were uh, reported, reported murdered in that period, as the Toronto Star reported then, um, but seven of those cases remain cold to this day. There are close to 600 cold cases in Toronto, with active crime scenes taking precedence as police continue to comb through the properties of MacArthur's landscaping clients. Um, resisting co- sorry, revisiting cold cases is a secondary priority in the investigation, according to Toronto's Homicide Squad Cold Case Unit. Um, but to give you some idea of what happened back in the 1970s, uh, if we just scroll down here, um, there are a couple cases. Uh, as I said there were 14 cases and they all happened within three years and there are many similarities between them um, being that the men who were involved were known to frequent the gay community Um, they were all sort of found um, murdered in similar ways Um, they were known to be um, uh, uh, involved with certain people um, and uh, the police sort of found them in their apartments um, uh, found their bodies in their apartments Um, What is interesting about this, however, is that, so before, uh, or while these murders were happening, rather, the gay community in the 1970s was trying a little bit to work with the Toronto Police Service. It might not have been called that then, but they were trying to work with the Toronto Police Service, and so there was a bit of um, goodwill being built. But then, as we recall, throughout the late 1970s and early 1980s, uh, the Toronto Police Service, along with like police services across the country, were raiding gay bars in high numbers. Uh, and were arresting predominantly gay men, um, gender non-conforming people, and lesbians. Um, and were charging them with like everything from you know, violating liquor licenses to um, indecent exposure, ruining a lot of people's lives. So this happened, so you had the the string of murders from uh, 1975 to 1978, and then by 1981, 1982, we had the biggest um, bathhouse raids in Canadian history. And the biggest mass arrest in Canadian history up until that point. Um, and so the relationship between the Toronto Police Service and the gay community completely fell apart, of course, because after these raids, we have a, a huge sort of galvanizing moment of rebellion against the police. Um, so, if we look at the case, the situation now—I mean, that was forty years ago—and that was sort of tarnished this relationship with the police, in which the police like constantly say, "You should trust us. You should trust us." If we look at the situation now, we have a, a situation where the police, for you know, the last five, seven, ten years have been trying to say, like, we're your friends, we're looking out for you, we'll be in your neighborhoods, we'll arrest people for hate crimes, we want police liaison committees, and we want to be in your Pride Parades. And we remember the Black Lives Matter Toronto um had an amazing sit in protest in which they one of the things they said was that police shouldn't be at Pride events, including the parade. And it unleashed all this discussion across the country. But what's interesting is that um we sort of have a reverse situation where they were trying to, or the same situation we were playing itself again, where they were trying to sort of create these good relationships with the police, and then the police, you know, either raided a bathhouse, raided uh, people having public sex two years ago in a uh, public park in Toronto, or um, completely ignored the gay community's pleas to sort of like have the police look into something that they knew firsthand from their experience, uh, experience um, of losing loved ones, friends, and neighbors, and Community members that this was connected. Um, excellent pl- piece, if you want to look at it, that was put out by the Toronto Star. It's called Gay Village Stalked by a Serial Killer a Second Time. Uh, and you can look into that if you want. Um, and we'll also look... Uh, keep an eye on what happens. I don't know if the meeting between Mayor John Tory and uh, LGBT community leaders will be made public. I don't know if they'll just come out with some sort of press conference or, or anything about that, but we'll keep that updated as well. I wanted to make sure to tell you about uh, an amazing uh, resistance event that is happening. Uh, so we've talked on the show about um, the fact let me get it here, Uh, that uh, University of Toronto psychology professor Jordan Peterson uh, will be coming to town uh, to talk about uh, his newly released book, The Twelve Rules of Life, an Antidote to Chaos, Um, and he'll be talking on uh, February 11th He's best sort of known, infamously, uh, for being a spokesperson for the alt-right and for a transphobic movement in the country, uh, for starting out by refusing to use, um, his students' pronouns, and specifically refusing to use the singular they. Um, he's claimed to be an expert on all things outside of psychology, including philosophy, linguistics, uh, gender biology, gender philosophy, Marxism, why not, Uh, He's claimed that as well, and uh, his book uh, is being released um, to very uh, mixed (laughs) reviews, we'll say. Um, It's a New York Times bestseller, which is extremely concerning, uh, but anyone who's reviewed it has sort of said that um, he is an expert in nothing, quite frankly, and those are uh, coming from reviews around the world. So. Um, if you're feeling like this is a really icky situation and you'd rather be anywhere but where this event is happening, um, luckily for you, the progressive non for profit group Progress Alberta has stepped in with an anti Jordan Peterson rally happening at the same night, February 11th, at La Cite Francophone. Um, and performing at what is being called the Free Expression Party 12 Rules of Resistance uh, uh, will be uh, Cassia J. Hardy from the local band The Wears, or sorry, Wears. She identifies as a A queer trans woman and while she says she's read a lot about Peterson she has no intention of reading the 12 rules of life saying quote I think it's funny he's supposed to be giving intellectual heft to the alt-right movement and he's up here publishing an effing uh, self-help book like chicken soup for the alt-right that's an amazing quote and that should be spread around everywhere so if you want to see uh, that and you want to check out that event, as I said, it's happening Sunday, February 11th at five, from 5 p.m. to 8.45 at La Cité Francophonie, which is uh, at the uh, Faculté Saint-Jean. Um, and it's uh, a little description is Edmonton has a thriving and resilient queer and trans communities. It's time to celebrate them. It's time to celebrate the surviving, the thriving, the growing, the living. So come dance with us, come celebrate, um, uh, that we are still here despite it all. Um, there will always be more work to be done, and we're inviting you to engage in this work. So there'll be organizing tr- organizer training on February 10th from 5 to 8 p.m. with workshops on political organizing, cis-supremacy, effective storytelling, and anti-oppression. It says, please join us um, as we work to better act in solidarity with marginalized people and build capacity in our communities. So again, the agenda for the night's festivities, our doors open at five. There'll be introductions and land acknowledgement, um, around that time. There'll be comedy, um, with, uh, three community members, including, um, Lily Makowski and Simon Gorsick, um, no Thrills will be playing at six fifteen. At six fifty five it'll be Cassia Hardy of Wares. Seven forty five it'll be Hood Joplin uh will lead a dance party and then it'll all wrap up on eight forty 8.40, at eight forty five for your Sunday evening. So that's free expression dance party, twelve rules of resistance. If you wanna be surrounded by amazing, queer and trans folk and not near uh or thinking about or engaging with um incredibly horrible alt right um, you know, hate baiting. So there you go. Uh, So coming up next, we're going to play an interview with our friends over at the landing. Uh, We spoke to them in December. And I wanted to make sure to replay the interview because it's a a lot of handy information about the excellent work that they're doing uh, in the U of A community. But as we say in the interview, it's open to anybody. You don't have to be affiliated with the U of A. And they have a ton of programming uh, that has started up this semester already that you can get involved with. So again this is uh, the landing with some information for you
1: I am Katie Ring I am uh, the landing coordinator and my pronouns are she and her. How did the landing get started? The landing started because in 2013, ISMIS did a study on safe spaces on campus. Students had a big gap in terms of service for LGBTQ uh, individuals. With that uh, survey, that research report, the Students' Union decided to open a space that specifically supported LGBTQ individuals on campus. After about 2014, we were open for a bit, and um, 2015 we became an independent organization, no longer under the student union, but deeply supported by them.
0: And how have you found uh, sort of the student body and university support for the landing? Has it been?
1: When we talk to individuals about what we do and how we support LGBTQ people, those questioning, all allies, anyone who's trying to know more about gender and sexuality-based anything. We have an overwhelmingly general positive response uh, to being an LGBTQ supporting organization on campus. For the most part, everyone is incredibly encouraging, recognizes the importance of having a specific space for us, and all in all, very supportive. Nice. So have you
0: found um, within the community, like LGBTQ uh, students and faculty, how have they responded to the landing?
1: I think the survey that happened in 2013 really pointed to a deep need in the campus community. With that, students, teachers, staff, faculty, all departments have all seen a significant increase in their departments and organizations' uh, ability to serve better the LGBTQ students and uh, visitors. Mm Um, They have more educational opportunities for them, they have uh, their questions answered more readily, they're using uh, proper terminology and respecting, respecting identities of everyone who comes into their doors in a way that they weren't able to do before. Mm. So uh, because so many people approach us about how can I better support my LGBTQ students, we've seen a great response in people who come to us saying, hey, my professor's been great and thanks for the training that you did with them. And the education team can do a whole gambit of things. They can do a quick five to 10 minute spiel on what the landing is, how we support people, what Mm -hmm. services we provide. We can do full hour-length presentations as a gender and sexuality 101 kind of class so to speak. We do trainings with uh, facilitators um, of classes, we do trainings with organizations, student services, yeah we do the whole gambit we can do we do awareness campaigns on pronoun usage so Mm. uh, we like to fill as many gaps as we can with our education team knowing that we are not the only education team available on campus but we definitely try to fill as many holes as we can
0: are the other services that you offer for students
1: right so the landing is primarily a support space so we offer primarily our peer to support drop-in hours are the most frequented program that we offer mm-hmm. those are every day uh, well Monday through Thursday and uh, provides this opportunity for people to come, not have to explain their identity, feel immediately respected, feel immediately supported, uh, or they can come here to just hang out, or they can come here to relax, or they can come if they want some sort of peer mentorship or uh, any kind of support with a specific problem that they're having related to gender and sexuality. On top of that, we also do a lot of support meetup groups. So we have about six ongoing programs uh, that people can attend typically after school hours.
0: We can talk about all of those programs. So why don't you tell me about them?
1: So our regular programs are the Queer Media Collective. We have Spectrum, Queerness and Faith, Trans Meetup, Generator, our drop-in hours, as well as we have a lending-supported program called Shades of Color. Okay. Uh, The Queer Media Collective is a... It started as a reading group, but we recognize that reading isn't always the best accessible medium of consuming media. Mm. And so we're uh, working with... Podcasts, TV shows, music, uh, other ways that people can interact with media and have a discussion group to unpack some of the themes that are there, what they liked, what they didn't like, is it queer, is it not, could it be, Mm. is this great representation, is it not, etc. So there's a, a lot to unpack with that surrounding queer representation in the media. So that's Queer Media Collective. Spectrum is our community support space, so this is a facilitated discussion casual sort of group where you can come if you're LGBTQ allied questioning and there's a weekly topic to be exploring if people want to be exploring it all together. Mm -hmm. For example, something like uh, um, self-body image uh, and how that relates to your queer identity or not. and so unpacking a lot of those themes together as a group builds community as well as bolster support, and builds resiliency, fun stuff. Um, so that's Spectrum. So Queerness and Faith is a space to explore the intersections between queer identity and faith-based identity. They often have speakers who come in and explore those intersections based on their faith-based background. And they have group discussions and unpack those intersections well. So that's queerness and faith. We also have a trans meetup, which operates mostly as a casual hangout space for trans individuals, non-binary individuals, gender non-conforming individuals, um, anyone with any gender and expression that uh, feels that they wanna be in this kind of space uh, to share resources, share experiences, just hang out. It can be a social space. It can be um, if they're having trouble locating, specific resource that they need Um, there's a lot that that you can do as a community Mm. Um, so that's the trans meetup generator is a queer and trans creative arts and social space So it is split into two concurrent meetings. So in one room, we have a solo space activity uh, area. So if you're working on a project such as writing, drawing, uh, reading even, um, but you don't really wanna have too much interaction with other folks, we have the solo space for you. And we also have a collective space meeting at the same time. That would be anything that you wanna involve other people with in more projects. So dance, improv, uh, um, a filmmaking any kind of uh, medium that you want to be more with a group of folks and then of course you can switch between rooms if you want you can do it all uh, so that's generator uh, we have a landing supported program called shades of color this is a closed space group for uh, ibpoc Um, individuals who are queer and trans to unpack how their intersections of being a person of color or racialized person interact with their queer or trans identities. Our drop-in hours are Monday through Thursday 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It operates as a peer mentorship uh, drop-in space. You can come and casually hang out or if you have a specific question you want to unpack on gender and sexuality you're more than welcome to come by. And
0: are people say if they want to bring like a friend or family member to accompany them to that drop-in? Are
1: they allowed to do that? Absolutely, the landing is a nonprofit, and we are open to the community, uh, not just the campus community. So, anyone you want to bring with you is absolutely welcome to come in the space.
0: People want to get involved in a volunteer capacity. Is there that opportunity, and if so, what should they do?
1: Absolutely. Uh, You would go to our Contact Us page on our Facebook or on our website and track down our email address, shoot me, Katie, the landing coordinator, an email. And we will have you scheduled for an interview. We'll unpack your relationship to LGBTQ community and why you want to be involved as a volunteer. And then we'll start to talk about ways you want to get involved, if that's a specific program or if you just want to help out with events, whatever that might be. So anytime you feel compelled to be a volunteer at The Landing, you're more than welcome to get in contact.
0: All right, awesome. And since you've been working here and involved with The Landing, what's been one of your sort of favorite memories or times or groups that you've participated in
1: Hmm. what has been the most enriching and valuable part of working with the landing has been seeing the way our volunteers envelop our new visitors take them under their wing really support them validate all of their identities And uh, work with them to get to a point where they feel really comfortable um, with themselves and that has been such a rewarding and amazing process to see when you see a new visitor come in and uh, the difference from the first time you meet them even three months later is a radical and amazing change Um, so I'm so thankful to be a part of that journey with them Mm. and do you
0: find that um I imagine that like a community has been built around the landing that there's people that you know you can always sort of go to and depend on and it has a very um yeah like supportive and communal feeling
1: absolutely it is such a joy to walk in any morning that i come in and see my volunteers have uh everyone greet you with a, a- warm smile and open arms and say hey i hope you've been doing well um it's been incredible to see the amount of community and resiliency that is built within having a specific space for lgbtq people on campus
0: and through all of that work and interacting with students and staff are there any particular issues that you think um, need to be addressed in a new way on campus or new issues that need to be addressed
1: there will always be work that needs to be done uh, in supporting lgbtq members in any capacity we need to be doing more for our LGBTQ people who don't even feel really included within our own community um, and that's supporting the IBPOC uh, individuals of our community. There's still work to be done on campus in terms of uh, gender inclusivity. We don't have a gender inclusive uh, change room still in Van Vliet, and and uh, That's hopefully something that is in the works. Um, I know that the rec team has been uh, hearing a lot about it uh, from many angles, so I'm I'm sure it's on their radar as well as in general, we could do better with our gender inclusive washrooms on campus. Um, We could do better with every service, uh, recognizing people's pronouns, no more misgendering would be an amazing thing to see. Uh, In general, we hope that if anybody has any questions about the LGBTQ community, they'll access us as a resource. Um, We're happy that to share all we know with them in efforts to create a more equitable and inclusive area on campus.
0: It's my view that gender is culturally formed, but it's also a domain of agency or freedom, and that is the most important to resist the violence that is imposed by ideal gender norms, especially against those who are gender different, who are non conforming in their gender presentation. Judith Butler. How to play records on the radio?
1: Would you like to broadcast your thoughts to a huge audience over the airwaves? Almost anyone can volunteer at CJSR, Edmonton's community radio station.
0: We will train you how to sound keen on the microphone. You can learn how to play records, compact discs, and the exciting new MP3, the format of tomorrow. Or... You can train to be a big city news reporter or produce jocular commercials just like this one. It's as easy as one, two, three. Call 780-492-2577 or electronic mail. Volunteer at CJSR.com. Consider your exciting future at CJSR today.
1: Girl, it's your
0: time. Don't ever ever change your mind Cause you're
2: mine This is Vivek Shreya, author of Even This Page is White and She of the Mountains and one half of the music duo Two Attached. You're listening to Gay Wire on CJSR.
1: I'm
0: never gonna hide you Never gonna fight you again Not for any man. Hey, we're back uh, with Gaywire and just two more new queer news stories uh, for your week. Uh, So the first is, not sure if you heard, but uh, Bermuda has repealed their same-sex marriage uh, legalization. So it became the first country uh, to repeal same-sex marriage. The British Island Territory Supreme Court ruled it legal in May of 2017, but legislation repealing that decision was approved in December. And this week, Governor John Rankin signed the legislation into law, thus rolling back the civil rights of its citizens. Uh, The Guardian reports that the majority of both the Senate and and the House of Assembly supported the legislation as well as voters polled in a referendum. Um, uh, since it was legalized in May of 2017, only about a half dozen same-sex marriages have taken place, um, and those unions will now be considered domestic partnerships. Um, both Governor Rankin and British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, uh, were lobbied by LGBTQ right groups, uh, who asked that the British government withhold permission for the change, uh, though territories generally have self-governance. They refused, and the repeal uh, has been criticized by some NPs as a knock against uh, human rights. It is important to note that while this is the first country to repeal same-sex marriage, it's certainly not the first jurisdiction, the most famous of which being California, uh, where they had same-sex marriage legalized. And then it was repealed through Proposition 8 and went to the Supreme Court, where it was uh, put through and legalized again. Uh, So when thinking about different countries that are legalizing and then taking away such rights, I think it's really important to remember that a place that we think of as, like, quote, progressive, like California, um, did this. And they did it through public referendum, which, um, you know, is the vote of citizens, not just representatives who may skew or misrepresent the the wants of their citizens it was voted through and rights were taken away by actual uh, voting citizens so just to keep that comparison in mind um, before we try to set up some sort of false idea that uh, the West is somehow better than uh, these countries Turning to the East Coast, Uh, the mayor of Nova Scotia's second largest municipality has come out as gay um, and he said he did so. He decided to speak publicly after someone threatened to expose his personal life. So Cecil Clark is the mayor of the Cape Breton Region Municipality and he's also uh, announced that he is going to be uh, running for leadership of the province's Progressive Conservatives Hmm. Um, He spoke about uh, his private life in an interview on CBC, um, saying that he didn't want to run for the Tory leadership with people thinking they could shame him or hold something against him, saying, quote, I'm not going to go forward and announce my intentions about the progressive conservative party leadership race, having people think that they're going to shame me that being gay is somehow a bad thing. Who am I and how I go about my personal life is no longer up for, is no longer a punching bag for me politically, he said. Uh, Clark also said he's in a committed relationship with someone he loves and who supports his decision to speak publicly. Um, uh, so there you go. interesting. He's running for the Progressive Conservative Party. So we'll all see how that unfolds. Uh, but interesting that in these times people think that they can still uh, use that to publicly shame someone and I'm sure it was quite frightening for him to go through that.